I'm Evan Knappen, and this is Gun Lawyer. And today, we're going to talk about the poison gun case. The way it came about was I deal with a lot of clients that have guns that are confiscated by the government. Particularly in New Jersey, it's very routine to have guns confiscated for a multitude of reasons, often not even found anywhere in the statute. They just take guns for, quote, safekeeping. They literally pull it out of their ass and they decide, hey, we're going to take these guns. And then there's no process for the return that's formalized and it's a whole big challenge to actually get into court to getting your property back, you know. Now, there are other statutory provisions that allow for for gun seizure, and these exist in many other states as well. And one of the primary main ways you see lots of guns being seized is any time there's a domestic violence allegation. So in New Jersey, it's very easy to claim to be a victim of domestic violence. You simply have to qualify as a, quote, victim and that means that you're a spouse or you're someone there's a dating relationship with or you're a household member you know etc and if you meet that you're automatically given the label victim automatically and then all you have to do is claim this uh, predicate act of domestic violence which is a list of actual crimes but they're viewed at the civil level and, and the lowest crime you can allege is harassment, harassment. So if the uh, victim alleges harassment, which, by the way, the essence of harassment in Jersey is doing something with a purpose to annoy, to cause annoyance or alarm, all right? So that's the essence of it. And, and then they'll issue a restraining order, temporary restraining order for that claim of harassment. And built in and baked into every restraining order, is the seizure of all firearms and permits. And so, you know, this standard is pretty low. A matter of fact, uh, since the victim is anyone who is a spouse, and if you can allege harassment, which is the essence of doing something with purpose to annoy, I mean, I know that none of you have ever annoyed your spouse, right? You wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. But if you have annoyed your spouse, then they could, in theory, uh, say you were harassing them and get a temporary restraining order uh, issued in which all your firearms will be seized, will be kicked out of your house, and then you'll have to appear in court to fight the temporary restraining order becoming a final restraining order, which would permanently bar you out of the house. And built into that is what's called a weapons forfeiture hearing. So that's where they decide even after all that whether you get your guns back or not or whether they get forfeited to the state. So what happened in this case was uh, this really sweet old lady comes into my office and she's concerned because her late husband, 16 years ago, died 16 years ago. He was uh, a major gun collector, he even had an FFL, and he was actually a retired chief of police, one of the northern New Jersey towns. And he had a lot of guns when he died, and they were all locked in his his gun room. And you see, one day his son had been in the upstairs with his girlfriend, and they got into an argument, 
and the police came, and they alleged the domestic violence uh, issue in the home. And the police asked the son, do you have any guns? He goes, well, I don't have any guns, but my dad had a bunch of guns downstairs, you know, but they're not mine. And they don't care because they're in the household. So they went in the locked room and they took all of the deceased husband's guns. And the lady, uh, very nice, she was very concerned. And she said, look, you know, I really don't want them back. I, I just want to have them get sold. I could really use the money to help pay for the house. And I just never knew what to do with them or how to dispose of them or anything like that. So could you help me here on getting the guns uh, sold to a dealer and, you know, from the, in a way from the state? And I'm like, oh, sure, I'd be happy to help you do that. And while I'm talking to her, I get a call from the county prosecutor's office, from the evidence room. The guy who's in charge of the evidence room is calling me. And he's calling and he wants to know if I'm representing so-and-so. And that happens to be the person who's actually sitting in front of my desk at the moment. So my paralegal says, hey, it's the Sarge there from the evidence room. And he wants to know if you're representing the woman. And I'm like, well, she's here right now. And I am. But I, why is he calling me? Normally, I got to push them and all that. Let me take the call. So I take the call. I said, hello, and he's like, are you representing so? I go, yeah, man, yeah, how you doing? Yes, yeah, so I happen to be. All oh, right, well, okay, let me tell you, I need you to get these guns out of here right away. And I'm like, really? You've changed your policy a bit because normally we have to uh, go to court and fight to get them back and the whole bit, and you want me there ASAP to take the guns out of there. Yes, that's right. As a matter of fact, get a, get a dealer here a, right away. I need them out of this evidence room, gone. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? Why is this? What are you, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'll tell you what. He says, uh, everybody that's come into contact with these guns gets sick. Said, what do you mean? Oh, they get a pounding headache. Their breathing is affected. They feel dizzy. The guys that took the guns out of the house. They had to go to the hospital even, man. They were they couldn't breathe. They were headaches. They, horrible what happened to them. And anyone who goes in the evidence room gets the same thing. I'm like, oh, my God, all right. Well, I don't know what's causing that, but let me let me uh, get my dealer. So I call my dealer. I said, look, you know, uh, I need you to right away to get these guns from the county. And, um, and look, uh, you know, bring, uh, bring your wipe downs and put on your Israeli gas mask, I guess, and go there, throw away any of the cardboard or, you know, cloth cases, whatever, because apparently everyone that comes in contact with these guns is getting ill, and I don't know what's going on, but we need you to pick them up, wear gloves, a whole bit. And he's like, sure, there's a lot of guns. So he's like, okay. So he goes there and picks them up, and we get them out of there, and it's all very interesting. And the question, of course, was what the hell what is going on there? Why did this occur? What was the deal? So after the dealer got the guns and, you know, a few weeks later and he's got the whole inventory and all laid out and he's and he uh, he's arrived at a price to buy them straight out. And the client was very, very happy about the price. And I thought, come on in. I'll give you a trust check because he wrote the money here and I can disperse it to you. So she came in and to get the check and. 
And I started asking, I said, so, you know, um, this was a little strange. The, 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 the folks that picked up the guns, they got very ill, they got sick, everything about it. Do you have any idea what was going on there? She's like, no, I really don't. I, I don't have any idea. Well, what, what, was, what happened with that room? Well, when my husband died 16 years ago, I, I did never open the door again. I never opened it again. And I said, really? So it's kind of like when somebody dies and you don't, and you leave their room alone, like whatever psychological thing that makes you want to do that. So she just didn't want to go near that room, didn't want to deal with it in any way. And yet, 16 years later, when the police came in, I'm like, well, did you ever do anything down there? Anything? Anybody have any? And then she said, well, there's one thing maybe. She said, um, I, I after... My husband died. There was this really sweet man who I met because he was coming to the house to do um, bug uh, pest extermination. I said, really? Yeah. And what I, I he he was so nice, and I bought a plan that anytime he came, it was free, and he would put you know he would treat everything for free, and you know every there's no charge, and it's just a one plan. And he'd love to come over because he'd come over and he and I would spend all kinds of hours together and we'd talk and we'd have tea and he was so nice and we had conversations. And so every every couple weeks he'd come by and he would do a treatment. He would do a treatment because that was why he had to go there. And then we'd have some great conversations and, 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 and all that. And, that. and that went on for a long time. Oh, years so you mean to tell me for years, every time he went over, he would go down there with the bug spray and spray the basement, including in that room, and just spray it in there, and the room was sealed, and he never went in. He'd shoot it under the door over and over and over and over again. Oh, yes, yes. Uh-huh. So that basically explained how the police were poisoned by the guns that they took out of the house. And uh, that is the uh, true story of the poison gun case. And we're talking the good bug killing stuff in those days. You know, this goes back a ways. This wasn't the politically correct, environmentally safe. No, this was good, good bug killer. It sure did a job. So let me tell you what we're going to talk about in the next segment is something called anti-gun investing what is that and how do you do that i'm going to tell you for over 30 years attorney evan knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people that's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of america's gun owners a fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights justice and freedom an unrelenting gun rights spokesman, tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. 
But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Okay, hey. Welcome back. And I'd like to tell you about a... uh, Great thing, and that's uh, at gun.lawyer. You can uh, ask questions, and I'm happy to try to get to them and answer them on the air here. And I have one such question that I want to discuss, and this comes from George from New Jersey, and it says uh, regarding New Jersey gun laws, every legal television show loves to quote that people are innocent until proven guilty by a court of law. Even cops made it part of their opening. But isn't New Jersey a bit different regarding firearms, where any possession or use of a gun is by law illegal unless it's proven in court that you fall within a very narrow exemptions? Doesn't this fly in the face of, quote, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law? And the answer to the question is basically yes. New Jersey has actually structured their gun control scheme in a very strange way that puts uh, due process and criminal due process rights on its ear. It's just a real abuse. And and here's what they what they've engineered it as. They ban everything in New Jersey. I mean, everything gets banned in New Jersey. Handguns, rifles, shotguns, you name it. Banned, banned, banned. And then the only way that you're legal and not subject to prosecution successfully under the banned items is only one of two ways to do it. One is if you have a license, which many times is an impossibility to even get, such as a carry license to carry a handgun, only six, less than 600 civilians have one in the whole state of New Jersey, and that's what's required to possess a handgun, not just carry, possess a handgun in New Jersey. So if you don't have a carry license in New Jersey, how else can you possess a handgun, even one that you've purchased with the New Jersey pistol purchase permit? Because that permit is not a possession permit. It just let you acquire a firearm. And the answer is by way of exemptions. But the exemptions, my friends, are what is called an affirmative defense, meaning that you as a defendant have to first prove that you are under the exemptions before the state has to disprove the exemptions. So it, in essence, makes you guilty until you prove yourself innocent of the exemption that you fall within it. That's right. It is a complete opposite of being presumed innocent. Because the probable cause for your arrest exists no matter where you have your handgun unless you have a carry permit. And even then, the law there's another law that says you're presumed not to be licensed until you prove you're licensed. But without the carry, what does it mean? It means you must show that you 
are within an exemption. And that means prove it ultimately to a jury, to a jury. And that burden is placed on you. And I've had many, many, many criminal cases where that is the situation. I've had individuals charged with possession of a handgun in their own home many times. And we have to prove that this is actually their home so that it can fall under the exemption. you got to prove that you're living in your home, which is you know, not seen as a uh, judicially noticed uh, fact. It's up to ultimately the jury to believe where you live and that this was your home so that you were within an exemption. And we're talking about a firearm that you lawfully acquired. This is how New Jersey has completely contorted this. Now, keep in mind, you may say, well, thank God I don't live in New Jersey because of how bad it is. Well, let me tell you, if you believe in self-defense and use of force, justification, use of force, well, guess what that is? That's an affirmative defense. That's right. If you use your firearm, you use deadly force, you could be charged with the uh, assault, with the homicide, etc. And then you're going to say, well, it was self-defense. It was self Maybe it absolutely was self-defense. But guess what? That's an affirmative defense. You are going to have to prove first your self-defense, normally by uh, preponderance of the evidence or thereabouts. You're going to have to present the evidence to prove your innocence before the state has the burden to have to disprove your claim of self-defense. So that idea of switching the burden of proof, very serious, makes a big difference in how a case can proceed. Think about it with that burden shifting. Now, it's one thing to do that where you're talking about the use of deadly force. And not that I think it should be there, but at least it's slightly more understandable because you're talking about arguably you know, ending someone's life or physically you know, maiming them with violence, force, deadly force, etc. But New Jersey has taken that and applied it to simple possession of a handgun, rifle, shotgun, etc. So it's a darn good question there from George, and it does highlight how New Jersey switches the burden of proof to the law-abiding gun owner. In New Jersey, all gun owners are essentially uh, guilty until they prove themselves innocent. Now, on a different topic, and uh, if, by the way, if you're interested in uh, uh, asking more questions, by all means, go to gun.lawyer. That's our website here for Gun Lawyer. And you can send in questions. We welcome that. Uh, feel free to check it out and, uh, and join what's called our inner circle because our inner circle is special and it's free. And you'll get uh, important updates and uh and various um, information from me that is not going to be on the show, but told to you privately through our inner circle uh, communications. So check that out. But uh, anti-gun investing. Well, let me tell you, I, I coined this phrase back in the late 90s. I, I wrote an article for the Blue Book of Gun Values uh, for their 20th anniversary edition, 1999. And it was on anti-gun investing. Now, what does that mean? Well, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but actually there's a lot of truth and considerations that go into it. 
The idea is to invest in firearms that because of anti-gun actions, the value of the firearms are, are, are rise and uh, go up and, in, in effect, uh, make the market skyrocket because of the actions of the anti-gunners. Now, what's nice about this is at least gun owners end up to some degree getting some financial compensation out of the uh, ridiculous actions by the anti-gunners. And this is something that you can see uh, that was done successfully by many people. One great example is the 1996, uh, the uh, machine gun production, you know, the Hughes Amendment, the ban on new manufacture and new registrations. That meant that the machine guns that were NFA registered became the limited pool of just those guns because no new ones had been added or could be added to it. And what happened was that supply was limited. And with a limited supply and a growing demand, the prices have skyrocketed. Uh, you know, a fully automatic firearm that you could have bought in 86 for, oh, you know, $600, maybe 1000 you know, you're now talking $25,000, for that potential machine gun, quote-unquote, full-auto weapon, depending on what it is. The prices were dramatic in their uh, rise in value. So if you were an anti-gun investor in pre-'86 and saw the writing on the wall, well, you could have really made out on that. And it's not just limited to that, because right now... We're having an ammo shortage. I'm sure if any of you tried to buy 9 millimeter or any just about any other round, uh, any uh, gun, uh, ammo for our ARs, our AKs, etc., that's all gone and crazy high prices. I mean, 9 millimeter ammo is uh, insane at the moment. We're talking at one time where you could have bought for 10 to $12 a box. I've seen as high as $100 a box because of the shortage and the desire for people to want to have more ammunition. And it is crazy, the pricing. Well, there again, anti-gun investing, and not really so much anti-gun laws, but the environment that has led with the threat of them coming down on our gun rights combined with civil unrest. What a dynamite combination for the value of firearms and ammunition to skyrocket, and, and, and it has. Look at what happened with the 1994 assault weapon ban, where they banned new manufacture of semi-auto firearms, right? A whole variety of semi-autos that were just arbitrarily picked over their certain features that the antis believe were intrinsically evil and offending and next thing you know, those guns are no longer able to be manufactured, but they were all grandfathered, and the values of those guns skyrocketed, skyrocketed because of the actions by the anti-gunner. Same with magazines, over 10 rounds. Remember, no new manufacturer, but the old ones were grandfathered, and boy, magazine prices through the roof. Just incredible because only the old mags that were pre the uh, pre the 94 ban were legal. And so if you wanted a mag that held over 10 rounds, 
Now, that was your anti-gun investing. And the other thing, too, that the antis never seem to think about is the impact of the laws on the market. So I always love how the 94 ban that limited new production magazines to 10 rounds actually impacted the handgun market because at the time what was really popular were the so-called you know wonder nines and semi-auto pistols with really big magazines that were really big handguns that held lots of ammunition and and all and when they passed the the ban since you were limited to 10 rounds what did the makers switch to they switched to smaller handguns that were much more concealable that still had the high power round of the larger guns so the ban of the magazine limit to 10 had the effect of creating smaller more deadly more concealable handguns now that did make me happy and so that was a good thing but uh, that's what it did so it's again funny considering that the antis for years and years wanted to fight against small concealable deadly handguns and instead, they get the assault weapon law passed that inspired uh, more and more production of those great guns that became very popular for concealed self-defense. And that combined with the growth of the shall-issue carry license movement, right? And so there you saw the gun laws having the effect where you could do the anti-gun investing. I mean, right now, if you have ammunition of any sort, and you should, you know, ammo you don't want, you could go through it and you can really make some good money. Uh, plenty of dealers are buying uh, your ammo that you're not interested in because they cannot get ammunition. And if you have old ammo that is uh, still good, but ammo you're not looking to shoot, maybe it's a caliber you don't have anymore or you just have no interest in that particular type of round, then uh, now is the time to sell the idea is to buy when people are uh, selling and sell when people are buying and this is exactly the philosophy behind anti-gun investing and what you need to do folks is you need to ask yourself about your guns and your ammunition i know a lot of you uh, are collectors a lot of you have you know just put stuff away in case one day it's needed i get all that but at some point, it's good to ask yourself, are you an accumulator or are you a collector? And it's one thing to have, uh, you know, your, uh, your stockpile ready to roll in case there's uh, major civil problems. I get that. But uh, what about if you've been in a collector and you've been buying lots of guns and ammunition and you keep buying and buying? And at some point, you maybe ask yourself, wait a minute, why do I have all these? Just because I like them and question of need and they're taking up lots of room and yet here there's this hot market right now this crazy hot market for guns and you need to ask yourself are you a collector or an, or an accumulator see because an accumulator does is just buy everything keep buying more and more and more and there's no real basis for it just wants more but a collector you see is discerning a collector wants a better gun, a better quality, a better condition, right? A more of a collector piece. And the idea is to build your collection while you dispose of lesser firearms as you increase your collection and get better, finer, more desirable firearms. And if you're a collector, you won't have anywhere near as many guns 
as if you are an accumulator. And the guns that you have, you'll be a lot more satisfied to own them because they will be in premier and improved condition and shape and variation. So this is the things to think about as we enjoy our collecting of firearms and to some degree even our accumulation of firearms. But look at what the picture presents in terms of as an investment. And right now, with uh, the new uh, president coming in, who is not a friend of guns, as a matter of fact, he was one of the folks that helped push the 94 gun ban. That's right, Beijing Biden, Beijing Biden did that, pushed the gun ban, and he's really uh, never seen a gun control law he didn't like, and there's a major, major monies that have funded the party that's in control of our government coming from the anti-gunners like uh, Bloomberg and folks. So they are going to want to get their money's worth. So we're going to see anti-gun laws. They're going to get proposed, and they may even get passed. And when those laws even get proposed and put forward, the prices of the guns that they're addressing skyrocket. And that's the thing to watch if you're an anti-gun investor because as these things are put forward, you can anticipate such moves and you can use it to your advantage. Now, of course, we don't want any new gun laws. We want greater gun freedom. And, uh, and the idea behind this isn't so that we want gun control so our guns get more valuable. But... There's also a reality to it, and the reality of even when they're proposed, whether they pass or not, it affects the markets dramatically. I mean, let's face it, the number one gun salesman before COVID was President Obama. And why was that? Because of the threat to the gun rights, and people were buying guns. And if you had seen that, you would have been an anti-gun investor that could have made a lot of money. So this is this is what you need to think about think about your collections when you go through your collection too think about things that may be illegal because the laws have changed certain things have become prohibited you know like a bump stock now is prohibited and uh, there are things in many state laws that have changed in new jersey a 15 round magazine used to be legal now it's cut down to 10 you possess a 10-round magazine in Jersey, you're fine. You possess 11 rounds or more in a magazine, and that's a felony-level offense, and you're looking at 18 months in state's prison for your possession of the magazine that holds 11 instead of 10. Now, of course, the uh, magazine uh, ban itself uh, raises a question, how many bullets is your life worth? But uh, New Jersey has decided your life is only worth 10 bullets, not 11 or more, just so you know. But look, if you have the mag that's prohibited, it's contraband. And if you're possessing contraband, you can face criminal charges. So you need to make sure that your firearms aren't prohibited. You know, the, the uh, assault weapon, assault firearm, so-called, which is the actual legal term, assault firearm in New Jersey, is uh, is a very hard-to-understand law that creates many different firearms that are banned, and yet other firearms that you think might be banned are not banned. And if you're really not familiar with guns, uh, you know, you need to be, 
because you don't want to end up on the wrong side of that very technical issue. Because in New Jersey, if you possess an, a prohibited so-called assault firearm, then the penalty is insane. It's a second-degree crime. It, has, it carries up to 10 years in state's prison, and it has a minimum, mandatory, three and a half years, no chance of parole. The judge has no discretion. It doesn't matter that you have no priors, that you were a law-abiding citizen, that this is your only honest mistake. doesn't matter. You get convicted, that judge has no discretion. You're going to get at least three and a half years, minimum mandatory in state prison. You're going to do every day of three and a half years, every day before you can even get out on parole. That's how draconian and outrageous New Jersey's law is over an arbitrary definition that is completely confusing and illogical as to what is an assault firearm and what is not. And even more issues arise out of this. So, for example, you cannot have, and in terms of offending features, you can't have more than one offending feature. So if you have an AR and you have a pistol grip, it's okay. But if you have one more offending feature, it's not. And those offending features, just for example, on the AR, would include a telescoping or folding stock, a bayonet lug, a threaded muzzle, or a flash suppressor. Like, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, why is a bayonet lug an offending feature? You know, that's like, what does that have to do anything with crime? And, and for a long time, it bothered me that, that that was even a criteria until I found out why. That Once I found out why, it made it all better because the reason is because of all the drive-by bayonettings. Obviously, that's why. So that's not so bad. So what if you have a, an AR and it has a telescoping stock and you think it's no longer telescoping because it's pinned? And you've seen advice that if you pin it, it's okay, and it removes that offending feature. Like, why should a stock, whether it moves two or three inches one way or another, have anything to do with whether it should be a second-degree crime with minimum mandatory state prison? I don't know. But I've had cases where the prosecutor has claimed it wasn't sufficiently pinned. Not sufficiently pinned. It was pinned. It demonstrates the intent. Well, we don't think so. So you're going to ruin this person, put him in jail for up to 10 years, minimum man three and a half, make him a felon, cost him his family, his dreams, his life, his career, destroy him over whether or not his telescoping stock on a firearm that he lawfully purchased was sufficiently pinned. What a load of garbage. That's what it's like living in the anti-gun states. And unfortunately... It looks like federally they're going to try to jam New Jersey-style gun laws on every American in the United States. So you need to focus, and if you're going to be an anti-gun investor, do it smart. Remember to fight for our rights. Let me tell you, folks, keep a fellow gun owner from becoming a law-abiding criminal. Tell them to listen to Gun Lawyer Radio. Visit our website at gun.lawyer. What I'd really love is you take a look at our inner circle on our website at gun.lawyer. Sign up for the inner circle. You're going to get the inside scoop from me, Evan Knappen. I'll give you tricks and tips and insight and fun. Sign up. It's free. Go to 
gun.lawyer and join my inner circle. Remember, this also helps us communicate with you, to touch base, to let you know what's going on, because big tech doesn't care about our gun rights. They're shutting down conservatives left and right, banning them, making it very hard to communicate. This is an insurance policy for us to be able to communicate. You know, they just don't like us, and they're trying to shut us down. The inner circle is a way we can stay in contact despite their efforts. We're going to have big issues coming up, executive orders, all kinds of nasty things. You're going to need to know what to do to protect yourself and what loopholes there might be. I'm going to fill you in on all that. You're going to want to know, how are you going to deal with the pistol brace regulation if it comes back down again? You know it's going to. What are you going to do? How are you going to deal with the executive order by Biden on gun transfers? He wants to end private transfers. How are you going to deal with this? Well, I'm going to fill you in and tell you what to do. Join our inner circle. You'll be able to protect yourself and your rights. Please subscribe. Please rate the show and help me get the word out. I'm depending on you. This is Evan Knappen reminding you, gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.